0: Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. I'm Nasreen, and this is Manali. This is episode number five. Aluminum can do anything you can do better. It can do anything better than you. Well, that's just rude. Hopefully, you're nicer to our guest this week. This episode will have joining us Ryan Weinstein, the vice president of m M&M m Waste a full-service scrap metal recycling and dumpster rental company.
1: As far as metal, I mean, it's being used, and we need more of it, and the best way to get it is to recycle.
0: Nolly, quick, look out the window. What? What is it? Is it a bird? Wait, is it Superman, the Man of Steel? No, even better. It's a plane made of aluminum and steel. Whoa, you're right, Nasreen. That is better. (laughs) So this week, we'll be talking about metals. There are 91 metals on the periodic table, but in reality, we only use a few in our everyday lives. Iron and aluminum are two of the most frequently used metals by humans. You see them in cars, utensils, bridges, buildings, and a ton of other stuff. Without iron, there'd be no Iron Man. That's true. Without other metals like copper, nickel, and tin, we wouldn't have pots and pans. Copper and nickel are also really important in things like money. ka But Nasreen, what exactly makes a metal? Well, it depends on who you ask. The definition of a metal will vary based on whether you ask a physicist, a chemist, a material scientist, or a geologist. In some ways, you know it when you see it. For a physicist, a metal is defined as any substance which conducts electricity even at absolute zero. That's really cold. It's even colder than outer space. I would need so many jackets, even those PET north faces wouldn't protect me. Chemists and geologists define a metal through the electron C theory. This theory states that metals have atoms with a nucleus that is surrounded by moving electrons. These electrons can swim around, which is why metals are such good conductors of heat and electricity. That's so technical, but like I said, you know it when you see it. Visually, metals are typically lustrous or shiny and have a ductility somewhere between a polymer and a ceramic. Ductility is the ability of a material to be pulled and still hold together. So not the ability to quack like the duck? No, you're a quack. That's so mean. All right, let's move on. Metals are hard to come by in their pure form. We don't use metals by themselves. Usually, they're found as alloys. An alloy is when you add small amounts of one element into a bulk material and give them more desirable properties. Exactly. Iron and aluminum are typically alloyed to make metals that we use in everyday life. One common example is steel, where you add elements like carbon, titanium, or nickel to iron to get the material that we want, like a stainless steel knife. Okay, Manali, now that we know a bit about metals, let's go to the main attraction of this week's episode, aluminum. Aluminium if you're in England, you're not British, stop this. Okay, fine, (laughs) aluminum can be found in everything from our airplanes and bone implants to our soda cans and is a very important engineering material. It's lightweight, can be made to be very strong, and is easily recyclable. I know how you love recycling. It's true. That's why aluminum is my favorite metal. Using more aluminum in our cars can reduce fuel consumption and carbon dioxide generation because it makes the cars lighter and takes less energy to move them down the highway. See, even more reasons to love it. And it's everywhere. But not as much as iron, right? That's true. Iron's the most abundant material on Earth, but as humans, we can't really get beyond the crust. A lot of the iron is deeper underground, like in the Earth's core. There's a giant ball of iron deep beneath us, which gives the Earth its magnetic field. On the surface, however, aluminum's the most abundant metallic element. The surface meaning the Earth's crust. Just like a pizza crust. It's the best part. The Earth's crust is also the best because it's got my favorite aluminum. Exactly. But the aluminum is almost always found as an aluminum oxide or hydroxide, meaning aluminum atoms are bonded to oxygen and hydrogen atoms. Additionally, that aluminum oxide or hydroxide is almost always found as part of a mixture called bauxite. As in, it's in boxes? No. Who's the quack now? Oh, so that's how it's going to be? Yes, yes it is. Bauxite is a mixture containing only 30-60% to aluminum compounds, with the rest being a mix of silica, iron, and titanium oxides. So how do we separate this? I'm glad you asked. The Bayer process. The Bayer process takes this mix of materials and uses chemistry to sort out the aluminum oxide and other materials. Back in college, I learned that aluminum oxide is also called alumina, and it's what's used to make aluminum. I have no idea how, though. It's the Hall-Herald process! (laughs) That's a fancy name. How does it work? First, we dissolve all the alumina in a salt bath. Salty! And then we use electricity to separate out the aluminum and the oxygen atoms. This produces a lot of carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. Ooh, that does not sound great. No, those add to the greenhouse effect, and it's also a very energy-intensive process. 3% of the world's electricity is used to extract aluminum. Whoa, that amount of energy could keep a refrigerator running for 10 billion months. Hey, maybe you should catch it before it gets too far. Oh, Nasreen. Anyway... Did you know that before the Hall process was invented, aluminum was considered to be a precious metal? The cost of aluminum in the 1800s was higher than that of gold and platinum because it was so hard to make. Do you think the Lord of the Rings ring is made from aluminum? It's also very precious. My precious. Whoa, that was creepy. But no. That was made by the Dark Lord Sauron in Mordor. There's no aluminum in Mordor. But do you know where there is aluminum? in your soda cans. But I thought they were called tin cans. It's because you're ancient, just like tin cans. Aluminum cans have been in production since 1965. Tin cans, however, were around since 1810 when they were used to preserve food, seeds, and gunpowder for the War of 1812. That is such a random fact. Anyway, when aluminum cans came around, after the Hall-Herald process made aluminum more accessible, they were better because they're more lightweight and easier to mold. Modern day tin cans are actually steel cans coated with a small amount of tin that'll prevent it from rusting. That's true. You wouldn't want the acid from your Coke to rust the can from the inside and taste all metally. Yeah, that tastes like blood. It's gross. I'm not a vampire. No, thank you. Even though all these other cans exist, aluminum is the best, though. Is that because they're easily recyclable? Yeah, and they're lightweight for transportation. Huzzah! No love for steel or tin for this purpose. Tragic. I guess we can come back and talk about steel in the future sometime. Okay, Manali, enough mucking about. Let's get down to my favorite part, recycling. Okay, so after I drink my can of Coke, you mean Pepsi, no one cares, they taste the same. I only care about the can. So tell me how to recycle my used can into a new can so I can have more soda ASAP. Okay, (laughs) alright man, it's a fairly simple process. First, aluminum cans are sorted and separated from other materials like paper and plastic. That pesky sorting again. Yeah, but this time it's not manual. Aluminum cans can be sorted from special machines called eddy current separators. Ooh, fancy! First, there's a giant magnet that removes all the magnetic material. These get taken away to other recycling plants. Oh yeah, aluminum is not magnetic like iron. Exactly, but it's still a metal so it has that sea of electrons we were talking about. This means it's still affected by electricity. So is that what the eddy current separator does? Use electricity? Kind of. This eddy current separator uses a conveyor belt and applies electric current, which causes the electrons in the aluminum to be repelled away. Where where does it go? The repelled aluminum gets pushed to a far away bin, and the other material just falls straight off the belt. Other material as in paper and plastic and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so now we have a giant vat of aluminum. Then what? Then it gets shredded into small pieces, which makes it easier to clean out contaminants, like dried tomato sauce and paper labels. Ew, dried tomato sauce. Gross. Don't worry, it gets washed out so your new Coke won't taste tomatoey. These clean pieces are then compressed into large blocks called bales and then melted in a large furnace. Um, how hot does this furnace have to be? Fun fact, aluminum melts at 660 degrees celsius, which is way higher than cellulose or other plastics. In the recycling process, the furnaces are set to even higher, like around 750 celsius. Aluminum needs a ton of energy to melt. Okay, and then you cool it down and have new aluminum. Now, first you then need to purify the molten metal to get rid of the remaining waste products. It's not too difficult because most of the solid impurities float to the top and then you can scrape it off. More impurities, but we just cleaned everything. Like we said before, for most applications, you don't use pure metals. You usually have an alloy, which is a mixture of different metals. These other metals, maybe copper, have to be removed from the aluminum so you can start fresh. For some other byproducts like hydrogen gas, you need to bubble in nitrogen or chlorine gases to get rid of it. If hydrogen is left in the metal, when it hardens, the aluminum might break more easily. Thank goodness somebody thought of that. I really wouldn't want my can exploding on me in the middle of me enjoying my cola. Yeah, we wouldn't want that. After getting rid of all the impurities, you can add the other metals to make new aluminum alloys. These alloys add properties like strength and increased lifetime, which is very important if you're using the aluminum for making new things like airplanes. That does sound important. But you mentioned that recycling aluminum takes a lot of energy to melt, separate, and clean all the used cans and stuff. Is it really worth it? Absolutely. Making one aluminum can from scratch uses the same energy as 20 recycled cans. So recycled aluminum is definitely the way to go. Oh yeah, I heard on NPR's recent Planet Money episode that even though the U.S. is having trouble with recycling plastic and paper because China doesn't want to take our recycling anymore, there's still a huge market for aluminum. Exactly. But unfortunately, 60 to 70 billion cans are still thrown into landfills every year. In the U.S., that's $1 billion worth of cans thrown away each year. $1 Whoa, that's so much wasted can potential, and I've heard that the turnaround time for recycling a used can into a new can is as low as 60 days. Don't worry, you'll have that Atlanta Coca-Cola back in no time. So, it sounds like recycling one ton of aluminum will prevent fossil fuels from being burned and will save landfill space. Yeah, definitely. Plus, bauxite extraction, which fresh aluminum comes from, is really bad for the environment it kills soil, so no vegetation will grow around bauxite mines. It's also bad for water and air pollution. So in conclusion, please, please, please recycle your aluminum. Even aluminum foil can be recycled. Just check with your local program first. If you don't recycle anything else, please recycle your aluminum cans. Okay, Nasreen, now that we've begged our audience to recycle their aluminum cans, let's go see what our interviewee Ryan has to say about scrap metal and recycling. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump right
2: in. How did m um, and M&M Waste get started?
0: Yeah, uh, it's a
1: family-owned and operated business. My parents started it back in the mid-'80s. They immigrated here from South Africa, and um, my dad was always working in manufacturing. He was running a, a clothing manufacturing company in South Africa. When he came to America, that trade you know, is not really headquartered here. A lot of it's outsourced or done in other countries. So he kind of just fell into the scrap metal recycling world and was working for a scrap yard and eventually branched off and decided to make it on his own. And my mother and him started m M&M m Waste. And um, you yeah, know, they've been doing this type of work my whole life. So we opened up our own yard in the mid eighties and here we are.
2: Being from the family, did you always think that you were gonna go into it? How did, no, you, how did never. you get involved? I
1: have a few other siblings and my parents just, you know, pushed us through college and, you know, American Dream and making sure we got educated and said, you know, go off and get a degree in anything you want, just make sure you can support yourself and have a job and I went to UGA myself, and then from UGA, I actually got a job out in L.A. working in national ad sales for the radio industry. And eventually, yeah. um, they talked me back into coming, moving back to Atlanta and joining family business
2: with them. So how long have you been with the company now?
1: So obviously, I've been around it my whole life, but full-time, starting working with them. Uh, it's been going about five
2: years now. So in terms of the company itself, could you tell me a little bit more about the goal?
1: To be a part of our community and help people recycle. Um, You know, some people scrap for a living, but fill a service or a need for all those people. Anyone who's a business owner on a multi-million dollar construction project, running the whole thing to the, you know, working class American, just trying to get by and everything in between. And I get to be a part of the recycling industry where conserving natural resources and energy and reducing emissions and greenhouse gases and just extending the life of our planet. So it's kind of a win-win.
2: So in terms of metal recycling, could you tell me what the company actually does?
1: So uh, kind of the whole process is that either whether it's the general public or a manufacturing company or an industrial account or even other scrapyards, We'll bring material into our yard and then we'll clean it, upgrade it and process it either to be sent out directly to mills and foundries that actually melt down the product and make it into raw material to be made into new products. Or if it's material that we don't want to handle ourselves, we'll just turn around and sell it to a larger yard.
0: So did you always operate this way? back in the beginning
1: we were actually melting and smelting aluminum ourselves and the aluminum market kind of dropped and everything's kind of involved where now you're more of not necessarily a middleman but you're that last final step before it's being recycled.
2: Okay but you don't do like the smelting and stuff yourselves anymore?
1: Not anymore yeah so it's kind of been specialized. I say obviously the industry is a lot different from two or three decades ago. Well, you specialize so like we, you know, gather in all the material and process it and get it ready, and then another company who's maybe a multi-million dollar national company only focuses in melting steel. So then we would ship them our steel, and then another foundry, an aluminum foundry, only focuses in melting down aluminum. So then you ship them all your different grades of aluminum. As far as we're concerned, we specialize in just bringing in the material and getting it ready.
2: So do you work with just aluminum, just steel, or is it kind of a mix of things?
1: Uh, We basically handle all metals except for precious metals. Your ferrous, which is your steel, and then non-ferrous, which is pretty much every other metal that's not steel, like copper, brass, aluminum.
2: And do you also work with alloys? Can you do mixtures?
1: Yeah, of course. So, based on location, whatever material is in your area, so maybe somewhere like if we have a rural buyback location, maybe they get a lot more car parts and irony aluminum and cast and that type of material, as opposed to the city of Atlanta, where if you're up in the general public, you're getting a lot of aluminum alloys and cans and so it depends on your location and also your customers if you're buying from the general public or um, industrial accounts or manufacturers where they make a specific product so you know what you're dealing, well, you know what you get when you deal with them.
0: Could you tell me some of the processing steps you guys go through when any material comes in?
1: Yeah, so it all a bit you know depends on what material you're dealing with. So, for example, if it's aluminum gutters and they have all the steel nails in it, if the customer is smart, like if it's a roofer who does it all the time and he has the time and the manpower to separate it himself, then he can get more money if, if it's clean aluminum when it comes into us, or they just sell it as is, they get a lower price, and then we have the manpower to you know, take out every single screw, um, we bale the aluminum into, or that type of aluminum, we bale it into full aluminum bales, and then... Once you have so many bales, we ship it out to one of the foundries that melts it down. And if it's steel, same kind of thing. We run it through our machine that actually cuts it up into small pieces. Uh, depending where you're shipping dictates the specs of the material. So, so we would clean up anything we get and put it up into two-foot pieces and make sure there's no trash, no non-metals, non-conforming um, pieces, and then put it in a container and ship it to them ourselves.
0: Since you guys have to go through so many sorting steps, is it sometimes easier to just narrow it down and take one type of material?
1: You have to take everything in order to see the material. So, for example, if I take all steel and uh, someone who goes around scrapping has a bunch of washing machines, well, they'll also have, you know, copper wire and aluminum gutters and bring in a whole bunch of other materials. So you can't just narrow it down and say, oh, no, we only want wire because that guy's not going to come to us. I'll go to a here that accepts everything and then offload his whole load in one go.
0: In terms of separating your metals, is it just based on visuals or is there something else?
1: Um, Visuals, obviously, you know, you see something's copper, you know, it's copper as opposed to aluminum. Um, There's also, I guess you can call it like an x-ray gun. you shoot the material and it tells you all the different alloys and metals that make up its chemistry and then that's kind of a step further where if you have aluminum sheets and you're not sure if it's 6061 or 6063 or all these different types of aluminum then you shoot it with the gun they'll tell you exactly so
2: 6061 and
0: 6063 are different alloys of aluminum There are thousands of these alloys, and they're all used for different purposes, such as airplanes or medical implants. These get their names from the different metals that are mixed in to make these alloys. All of these different metals respond to x-rays differently, so when you shoot them with an x-ray gun, it's able to tell you exactly which composition your metal is.
1: It's pretty interesting just to see... um customers telling you he's got this material and xyz and all that and and it looks like copper and then you take it and you put it on the grinder and the way the sparks fly off of it you're like no it's not copper it's <laughs> you know steel with copper coating or it's brass with a little bit of tin on it you
0: yeah. know different metals burn different colors so in a scrap metal yard you can use spark testing where you put a metal alloy against a grinding wheel and the friction causes sparks to fly off the metal, and the color of these metals can tell you what elements you have in your alloy.
1: Yeah, the tricks of the trade. Uh, We definitely had some learning curves where, you know, you have a new person, you're trying to teach to buy and sell over the scale, and comes all excited, oh, I just bought 5,000 pounds of copper, and it turns out it's like, well, that wasn't copper, so we just (laughs) lost on that buy, but...
0: (laughs) What are the main challenges you face in the scrap metal business? with scrap metal recycling
1: obviously you're working in cents and dollars and pennies so depending on the material coming in and how you upgrade it and how you clean it and you want to make sure you're doing that efficiently where you're not losing on the buy or the sell so for example in the steel yard we only want to touch the material once so like once it hits the yard between freight and gas and labor I don't want to dump it in the wrong place and then the crane moves it here and then we move it again because if you keep handling it, you end up losing all your profit
0: on it. Basically, the cost of operating certain machinery or processing the material can end up being more than the material is worth if you handle it too much.
1: Everything we do, it's got to be efficient and correct the first time.
0: In terms of the actual recycling process, are there limitations to what people can bring you? Say, can someone bring you just a fork to recycle?
1: As far as the general public, you can bring just about any piece of metal. It's just from your perspective, you'd want to save up enough of it where you have enough pounds where it makes it worth your while. You know, If you're bringing me one fork, it's not even going to be a pound on the scale. But if you're bringing me four truckloads or box trucks of hundreds and thousands of forks and knives and spoons and utensils then you get some weight on it, then you actually make a little money on your end. But as far as our end, it's, you know, yeah, we'll take you know all types of metal, the more the merrier. That's why every customer is important, whether you're just throwing away your washer or you're a manufacturing company who generates scrap every day.
2: You are able to work with things like washers that have other components in it, and that's not a problem?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Depending on what it is depends on how we actually want to apply our lack of a better word, manpower towards it. For example, if a washer or dryer, you know, it's just all steel, great, easy, just throw it in the machine, chop it up, make sure there's no trash or any fluff and stuff in it. And then, you know, it's ready to roll. But if it's maybe a giant electric pump that came out of like a sewer, and yeah, it's all steel or cast, but an electric pump, there's copper coils all through it. It's, you know, hey, do I want to break this down, get all the copper out, and then I have the steel to one side and selling the copper as its own commodity go from there.
0: Are there some things that are just not worth the time to separate or dismantle?
1: Um, anything that we get in that we, maybe it's too time-consuming or too much of a hassle or we're working on other things, we'll either mm-hmm. hold it and get to it when we get to it because then it's still on you know ours and on our yard. Or we just flip it if we need to and sell it to a larger scrapyard that would want it right away and can they can do what they please with it.
2: Yeah, it's really good to know because, you know, what do we do with our old appliances? Um, where do we take
1: it? You either know or you don't know. So the people who know about the scrap industry a little bit and, oh, I can get some money for this old appliance, like, you know, we'll see them. It could be once a month, once a day, once a year, but they know if renovating a house, they can bring all the things to us. Some general audiences just aren't in the know or educated at all about our industry. Do
2: you have any idea of how the metal recycling industry here got started? Yeah,
1: a little bit.
2: I know that
1: in general, over the past 150 years, the steel industry in America has been very active in recycling. And that's typically because it's more economically sound and easier to recycle steel as opposed to like mining iron ore and producing new steel. Obviously, recycling it, you know, it's already been refined and, and everything.
0: In your experience, how does the metal industry here compare with the rest of the world?
1: The U.S. in general, you know, it's one of the strongest economies in the world. So when it comes to scrap metal recycling, it's no different. In general, we're also just the largest exporter of steel in the world. The U.S. exports to about nine or so countries, and which just kind of makes us a little more resilient. Because we're such a larger economy, we're not derailed as much. And we don't okay. have all our eggs in one basket.
0: Has the scrap metal industry been impacted at all by China not taking our recycling?
1: You know, we definitely feel it when there's less demand for our finished products. You know, our prices go down, but I think because of all the countries we deal with, you know, bans and tariffs and market strength kind of comes and goes in waves. So eventually, you know, another market will open up or we'll force our way or find ourselves into another market we can sell where America will just kind of persevere, at least we hope, right?
0: Is there anything else you'd like our general audience to know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely... Want to urge the general audience just to try to become more involved on a deeper level, as opposed to just being a consumer of the end product. You know, if you're thinking about global sustainability and recycling, you actually become part of the solution by following the trail of like where the materials you use and buy actually goes. I feel like people don't know how simple it is, like setting up a trash can in your garage that every time you have a soda or a party or a beer and you just take your cans and put them in a trash can, then before you know it, two huge trash cans full of cans and you bring them in, you know, just makes such a big difference.
2: Yeah, it's just when people are having parties, they like, really don't think about...
1: Yeah, not at all. I mean, even, um, even if you made it fun, like if you took all the extra little cash you get from recycling... And you're saving it towards a trip or a big purchase or a new car, I mean, you'll be paying off that purchase. And you did it by drinking sodas on the couch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you have kind of any fun facts to end with?
1: Food for thought, you know, in the landfill, an aluminum can could sit there for decades and decades and decades before decomposing. But by recycling an aluminum can, it can actually be back on the shelf in a supermarket within two months. A few years ago, there was some statistic that domestically, so just around the U.S., we recycled enough aluminum cans that was equivalent to saving energy at up to, like, 17 million barrels of gas. That can power, like, over a million vehicles for a whole year. Yeah. So definitely you don't want to slow down at least recycling, especially the metals. As far as recycling copper, I know the U.S. annually recycles enough copper to provide, like, the copper contents of the Statue of Liberty for like 25,000 Statues of Liberties. And that's just in one year. I'm pretty wow. sure we provide like 20% of the world's supply of recovered copper just from the U.S. alone.
0: Thanks for talking to us, Ryan. It sounds like M&M Waste has made scrap metal recycling really easy. Is there anything you want our Atlanta audience to know
1: and, yeah, if you guys are ever trying to start a recycling program or have people who want to find out where to bring stuff, we're actually just located by the old Brave Stadium out in Ostel as well. So anything you guys need, just
2: let me know. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
0: This was Ryan Weinstein from m M&M Waste. Thank you for listening, and join us next time for an episode on composites. This episode was written by Katie Kuby, Manali Banerjee, and Nasreen Khan. This episode was edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at Podcast at gmail.com, or follow us on Instagram at Tag Green to Me podcast, or on Twitter at TGTM podcast.